Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. In this week's episode, I welcome William Cullen. William is a psychotherapist based in London, England. He is an author, a TEDx speaker, and the founder of Dynamic Running Therapy. In this episode, William shares his journey of picking up running and why he believes in the power of running when it comes to therapy. William also shares the app he is hoping to release in the next few months. William and I also discuss the current challenges we are facing with the pandemic and some of the societal changes that we're experiencing and the impact that's having on our mental health and how running has been beneficial for both of us. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if at the end you could leave a five-star review, I would truly appreciate it. All right, William, thank you for joining the Easy Conversations podcast today. Uh, I'm super grateful for you to take the time and, and have this conversation with me. Uh, before we get started, I want to give you an opportunity to, to introduce yourself and maybe get into a little bit of what it is that you do. Um, and, you know, you're based in the UK, but where exactly in the UK, just for the listeners to get some uh, insight. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on, Furkan. I'm in. Uh, I'm in London. I'm a psychotherapist. Have been for about uh, 15 years or something. Um, and uh, yeah, I sort of my 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 specialism is is using running as a tool to sort of ex accelerate and and get deep, uh, which works particularly well with men. I know this is a men's podcast, but men, mm. as you know, can find it hard to sit in front of another man or indeed another woman and and open up and be it's easier doing it side by side i'll get into that deeper but yeah that's what i do i in a nutshell and um how did you how were you able to like build running into your form of therapy because it's not traditional obviously and it's not very common um so was it something that you had experienced yourself and you decided to try it with your clients yeah that's that's spot on it's not it's not that somebody else uh, did it with me. What happened was I had this um, sort of meltdown when I was at about 40 or something. And, um, and I needed to do something to get out of the house and get, get up back in control of my life. And, um, and, and I knew exercise would be good for me. And so I, I took up therapy and I took up running. And, uh, and I noticed when I was running with my friend how much easier it was to talk to him than it was to talk to my therapist who was sitting across from me in a black suit looking rather, you know, formal. And it just seemed to flow so easily. And so then I decided to train to become a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then I thought, well, why not see if I can fuse the two together? Because I know how well this works. I started sort of doing it with friends. And, and anyway, you know, I don't know about you. I don't know if you're a runner. Are you a runner? Uh, well, I'm aspiring to become one. I, I run... <laughs> I run, so I run five, 10 kilometers uh, occasionally, but uh, trying to do it more uh, frequently. Okay. It's something I picked up, actually, it's funny. It's something I picked up during COVID um, because when the gyms were closed, I needed some form of exercise and I started running. So I definitely okay. see the, the therapeutic uh, benefits behind running for sure. And have you experienced that thing? I don't know if you run with friends, but if you do, have you experienced that thing where conversation seems to just flow quite easily and, and gets quite deep quite easily or, or do you run alone 
Um, so I run alone. Um, I'm, I typically like to exercise alone. It's just my time away from everything. Right. So that's when I really process things and, and reflect. But uh, I've heard stories where friends tell me, yeah, when they run together, they're able to have a lot of conversation and it is beneficial in that sense too. Yeah, well, I would say this to any of your listeners who maybe are going through a tough time at the moment. Um, you know, nothing's better for the head than running, just like you're saying. Um, it, it's great for the head, it's great for the body. But if you find a friend or you join a run club, you, you'll find a community there. Uh, of people that are very happy to open up and talk. And it's just a fantastic way to, to, to spend a, a Friday night or something or Monday morning or whatever time you can do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure. And, and have you done, like, have you looked up research or been involved in any research that shows how running can be therapeutic? Like what's going on in our body that, that is so beneficial about running? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote a book on, on the subject called Run for Your Life uh, in the States. It's called Running with Mindfulness, which goes into a little bit of the research. I, I didn't put too much in there, but yeah, such that there is research and there's growing bodies of research. There's plenty of research around, uh, around how it's good for mental health, just because, you know, with the corresponding health that comes with the body. But in terms of the community-based thing and the going deep, um, not so much people, there are reports that it works, but nobody's quite sure why. And mm -hmm. my personal theory is just that, you know, we've been, when we were hunter gatherers, that's what we did for hundreds of thousands of years is travel together in small groups, telling stories to each other. So I think it's, it, it's the oldest and most natural thing that you can do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and when you say like mental health, like how does running help with that? Like, if you don't mind sharing some tidbits there well i mean for a start it's it de-stresses you mm -hmm. it provides clarity um and just a sense of wellness as the you're connecting with the environment you're connecting with your body because quite a lot of rumination and anxiety happens in the head and, and it's and it's circular and it's a way to get out of that um i could i could go on forever but uh uh, yeah, it, it, it hits just about every metric you can imagine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then in terms of your own uh, therapeutic process, often what I find is not everyone likes to run and, you know, there could be resistance. So when you encounter that or have you encountered that and, and what do you do? Well, I don't because people come to me and, and typically they're already runners. And if they're not, I tell them, look, you know, you do not need to add on trying to become a runner onto this process. You know, um, we can do walking therapy, but I think that if you try to go from zero to a runner, you're going to be so obsessed with just trying to get to the next tree mm -hmm. and it's going to be distracting. So typically people that come to me already have a running practice. Okay. Okay. And, and what would you suggest? Cause I know for me personally, I get discouraged if I'm not running as fast as I would like. But I think personally, when I take a step back, I recognize that it's not about how fast I'm going. It's just about getting my body moving and, and getting that, you know, endorphins going. So is that something you're encouraging people to just focus on is just that movement piece? Most definitely. You know, I, I, 
a lot of people, certainly in London anywhere, I get a lot of sort of journalists as clients and people with busy lives that are really stressed. It's stress that tends to be my, my bread and butter for my running therapy. Mm -hmm. um, these are people who are striving, who are doing jobs for three people and there's only one of them. So what I say to them is, look, what we're going to be doing is not striving at all. I do not want you to strive here, not to make this the best therapy session you've ever had. I don't want this to be the fastest therapy session you've ever had. I want you to listen to your body, listen mm -hmm. to the pace, and it's completely client-led. So we're, we're out here for 50 minutes. You decide. You want to spend the whole 50 minutes sitting down on the grass or you want to spend the whole 50 minutes running, but don't confuse this with a um, you know training program. We're not here. The, the, the running is purely here uh, to help with the therapy. It's not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fair. That makes sense. And and I guess uh, what I also noticed on your page is you have an app, uh, the Dynamic Running app. Like, do you mind sharing a little bit what, what this app entails and what it's about? Yeah, with pleasure. It uh, it has uh, uh, some a lot of mindfulness stuff on there. So mindful walking, mindful running, some meditation, and then the real part of it, or perhaps the more important part of it, or the bit I'm more proud of more interesting is is my own work so it has two 20 session programs one for running with anxiety and one for running with uh, depression and you you listen to those in whatever order seems right to you whatever questions whatever themes for the for the session feel like a good fit and you do them as many times as you like and mm -hmm. when you listen to that session I'm going to be talking about the subject of the day stress and work or stress whatever it is and, and I open it up, you listen to me, but then I ask questions, specific questions, typically about seven a session. Mm. And then you can either press record on the phone, there's a big microphone icon on the front of your phone, um, and you record an answer, mm. and, when and then you tap it again and I carry on talking. And then your idea, the idea is for you to take those answers and, and put them in a diary and, and get, it's about increasing awareness, about triggering awareness of your process, discovering what you're doing that could be better, mm -hmm. uh, understanding where stuff maybe originated from, looking at your expectations you put on yourself, looking at the scars and the traumas that are perhaps causing the stress, um, looking at your relationship, your work. Just we explore everything. And, yeah. um, and at the end, I ask you to do... Uh, what's called a final synopsis, which is, a, which is a moment for you to reflect on, on, your, on your running journey that you've had with me and what you've learned and what you haven't. It's, of course, not the same as sitting down with a therapist, um, mm -hmm. but I think it has great value and it's something you can do without a therapist. You can do it by yourself. It's a, a hell of a lot cheaper than mm -hmm. um, being with a therapist. And... Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, I, that that's why I think it works well. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean one of the things you touched on there, uh, it is important. I think the goal of therapy eventually is to get the client to to be independent and be able to deal with a lot of these things themselves once they've learned how to break the cycle. Yeah. And, and I guess for listeners, um, you know, with depression and maybe a little bit with anxiety, uh, people are able to maintain that cycle. Uh, of, of the depressive cycle and what running or what you're describing in the app allows them to do is 
uh, activate a positive behavior that's breaking that cycle. And I think with anxiety, it's breaking that rumination that you're sitting there and thinking of negative thoughts. Um, so I that's think that's exactly it. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and as you say, with depression, particularly that comes with typically with with feelings of futility and powerlessness. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more empowering than 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 running around a park. And and, you know, you may not be a great runner, in which case maybe you'll only do 100 meters on the on the first day. I only want you to increase as slowly as you can or as fast as you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's no pressure. Uh, but those incremental small incremental moments of, of victory where you've managed to pull yourself out of bed, which of course is the hardest thing when you're depressed. Yeah. Whatever you can do, each one is, is a moment of empowerment. And that's what you need. It's when you're depressed, it's that, it's that one shard of light that comes in through an otherwise completely black room that you're, you're, you're in. If I could wheel back to my app though, um, at the moment, if uh, I don't know when this podcast will go out, but at the moment, the app is not up. I'm quite excited because I'm completely redesigning it and putting in a mood diary and I'm putting in in, uh, in a running map as well. So people be able to see what they've run, how far they ran and indeed what session they did mm-hmm. uh, during that run and what notes they made during that session. So it's all it's it's gone from sort of 1.0 to 8.0. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And, and uh, when do you expect it to come out? That's a good question. I would, I would hope in the next three to six months. It sounds like quite a long time. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, it takes I wish time. It was faster. It does <laughs> take time. Yeah. It takes time to get it right, you know. And I'm not an app developer. Uh, yeah. And um, and I made some mistakes the first time round, and I'm learning, and um, I'm trying not to make those mistakes again. So I'm, I'm taking my time. I've also been very ambitious. As, as I've just described with what I'm trying to get in on this thing. And, you know, apps, there's so much to know about onboarding and about, you know, the user journey and all the rest of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning. Yeah, no, and it's important, like you said, to get it right, because otherwise it loses the value that you're trying to give to the user. So, well, you're an engineer, right? So you understand that better than anybody. If you get the engineering wrong, you've got the building falls down, everybody dies. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, uh, that's the case with engineering, yeah. Um, no, I, and William, I appreciate everything you've shared uh, up to this point. I, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and maybe we can shift the conversation a little bit here, around telling stories and, and the value you were suggesting around even running within a community. Um, I think if you were to expand that a little bit, just being part of a community is huge, especially with some of the challenges we're encountering right now with the pandemic or, or just mental health in general. Um, and there's, there's a huge value in, in, cause for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, we've been telling stories and those stories have evolved, but they almost have the same kind of gist to them. So wh- why do you think that's important? Because I, I have my own opinion on it, but I just want to hear yours first. Okay, so mine is that that I think that we're seeing a breakdown in communities, breakdown in relationships, some of that social media, some of it's the speed of society, maybe some of it's the death of God, or Nietzschean death of God in 19, whatever you want to call it. But, um, but I saw a stat the other day that was shocking. It said something like one in three American men, if you ask them, they will tell you they do not have one close friend, mm. you know, and that's much more with men than it is with women. 
So for some reason, men increasingly are not feeling like they're part of communities, not even small little ones. They're, I don't know, is everybody moving? Do you grow up with your friends and then you move or, or maybe you try to hold on to them? Maybe you talk to them too much online and in the end, the whole thing just falls apart. I don't know what it's about, but I know that I know that we're social creatures and without that socialization, we end up anxious and, and, and despairing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yes, running is a fantastic way. It's it, it literally, you could join, any of your listeners could join a running group tomorrow and they would have a brand new family available to them right there. But tell me your theory. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but what I'm seeing here is also a lot of the relationships men are having are very superficial. Uh, and, and I don't mean to be judgmental when I say that. What I'm saying is <clears throat> men struggle to have the deeper conversations. Like I find like a lot of men even struggle to have a conversation like you and I are having. Um, and that's what I'm seeing. Uh, so, so what that prevents is you're not getting into a deeper level of emotions or struggles or challenges you may have. Uh, you're either talking about sports or politics but you're not going any deeper than that. And uh, one of the things I've uh, done recently is I started a men's group where we have those conversations about what we're experiencing and and the challenges we're having. And I've had a couple of friends come in and share stories that I've never knew. I I mean, I've known these people for years. And they, they start sharing, yeah, some of the challenges they have with their parents or their family. And, and, you know, you get to, understand what challenges they're facing and you know you want to help them but I think what we do in that men's group is we go around and we try to help each other out and share our own experiences and and that's powerful but but going back to where the struggle comes from is a lot of men don't have that avenue or community to be able to talk about it or they they're scared or worried about having those conversations with their friends for fear of yeah. judgment. Um, yeah, and we live in a very judgy age, don't we? Where, you know, you so we're all policing ourselves internally and worried about what we say. Do we sound? Do I sound crazy? Do I sound cruel? Do I sound yeah. uh, like a liability? Do I, you know? So there's that's a lot of pressure. But I think, I think a big part of it is I think the men have been sitting around since the beginning of time having somewhat superficial chats you know um and i think i think men can can still feel a great brotherhood even with superficial chats the problem is today uh, is as much i think to do with distraction and 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 types and and technology where you're having these chats and you meet up with a friend 30 years ago before mobile phones your friend was sitting there. He had your attention fully. Mm-hmm. You had his. There was no way you, your mind wasn't on anything else. There was nowhere else for it to go. So you may have just talked about football or about hunting or whatever it was. And, but in that moment, it felt like somebody was really there. Now we're all our minds are in eight different places at the same time. And, uh, and you just we just we're not connecting as deeply, I think. So I think it's a mixture of the technology, the age and, as you said, superficiality. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the technology is a huge uh, challenge uh, to your point, you know, where we're thinking about so many different things. It's like, oh, I need to respond to this email. I need to go on my social media account. I need to do this. 
and and it's hard to stay focused i was actually having a conversation with a friend and you know i think like as we've evolved as, as the human species so have our temptations right so and, and that's and at social media our our cell phones they're all temptations that have evolved just like we've evolved as a species and we just well we also fuck and we live in a permissive age right where it's now acceptable to date 18 people at the same time and do drugs and sleep with your neighbor's wife you can do anything you want so the boundaries we're not boundaried the way we used to be right you were used to be what the church would hold you in the community your neighbors now it's like well forget about my neighbor and he's a bigger freak as i am everybody's a freak. do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so there's nothing there's nothing containing you there's no societal norms there there are no standards it's it's an exciting age and it's and it's and it's it's and it's wonderful in many many respects but it's hard to manage and 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 if you're not careful you end up down a rabbit hole mm -hmm. doing stuff that you never thought you'd do losing friends you know you start off smoking a bit of weed next thing you're on cocaine classically with cocaine suddenly all your old friends are gone you've only got cocaine friends who like you are all a bunch of insecure nuts and now you've lost all your friends and suddenly, you know, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And it happens just like that because we all think it's okay to do whatever we want now. Yeah, yeah. So what, what do you suggest in those? Uh, <clears throat> obviously, we agree that this is a huge challenge and, and you know, um, I know we're kind of deviating from the running aspect of it, but what, what do men do in, in this age? Um, I mean, again, I have some ideas, but want to get your thoughts first. Well, I think part of being a man or, or any human, but perhaps particularly with the male libido being what, what it is and, and male greed and male and expectations around success and excellence, there's so much pressure there pulling you all the time one way or another. It, you have to master that. You have to master your own masculinity. And you have one, you have to not give in to every temptation that's available and just think that that's okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, and two, you have to work out what's going to be good for you. And, and maybe it means you've got to put your head down for four years and do a do a degree and stick with it, you know, and 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 that might mean giving up some stuff, you know, mm -hmm. you've got to have discipline. And I think that's you can't just keep on looking to the nanny state to go, oh, look, you know, you're going to be fine. And then you look on Instagram, everybody else seems to be fine. Of course, they're not really fine, <laughs> but it keeps on reinforcing this idea that there's some inadequacy deep within you. Mm -hmm. it, I think we're just not as disciplined as we once were. And I think about my, I think about my, my parents, my grandparents, they, these were people who, you know, back, everybody thinks life was so easy back then. But, you know, when you went to work, you took a package sandwich with you so that you could save enough money to put a deposit on your house. And it took five years. It still takes five years. It mm -hmm. can still take five years, whatever background you're from. There's a house you can afford. But guess what? That's the end of your coffees. There's no more $5 coffees every day. There's no more five $10 lunches every day. All of that has to go. And if you're not ready to do that, if you're not ready to, to, to self-discipline, then you're going to fall behind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there is an aspect of discipline. I think there's also, uh, in fact, yeah, I did a video recently on instant gratification and discipline and how can you like find that balance? Because it is, it is a fine line. Um, and I think a lot of people get caught up in the, the immediate payoff because I think there's, in their mindset, it's, well, why would I wait five, 10 years to maybe get something when I can get it today, right? So <clears throat> it's finding that balance 
the other piece is just being honest with ourselves and other people around us, you know, and, and I know this is easier said than done, but to your point earlier, it is the insecurities that we're trying to disguise and we will go to such great lengths to disguise yeah. those insecurities that it's almost, we're harming ourselves, uh, you know, of all people. So I think there's an aspect of that that men need to get comfortable with is we're, we're all insecure in our ways. Where, does, where do those insecurities come from and how can we manage those in our lives? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, it sounds like a harsh thing to say, but a lot of it's about growing up, you know. A lot of it's about learning to manage, as I said, insecurities and doing the right things. And it comes at a cost and it calls for stamina. But if you do it, uh, your life changes quickly if you keep on flapping about. And of course, we live in a, a society now where the algorithms have, 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 have worked out how to keep us flapping all day long, triggering you, um, you know, triggering that dopamine loop all day long. And people just can't even tell which way is up anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, and I think that's particularly trigger, tr tricky for men because we are so easily triggered. You know, you walk past a, a, a a piece of advertising there's a beautiful woman there in a bikini selling you a, a volvo or something and you, your whole mind suddenly you're looking at her and you're like hang on i was thinking about my work two minutes ago and then there's another thing over here and so that <clears throat> there's just so much there's mm -hmm. so much uh, stuff coming at us so many different colors it's coming so fast they're overloading us on purpose so that we become dumb consumers and, and it works yeah yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, I think the, the temptation is the biggest piece that has evolved as well. Um, and, and I think this, this discussion de definitely goes well into the running aspect of it to bring it back. I think for me, um, there is an aspect of discipline required personally. Like I'm, I've never been a runner. Um, you know, I, I've played high intensity sports, but it was like short bursts. And for well, me, ru running required more uh, endurance and and discipline personally in how what I was eating uh you know the things I was doing to my body and I think that's helped me uh tons because not only am I disciplined when I do go for a run I'm able to like just focus uh yeah. and reflect and that's why I like to do it alone because it allows me to reflect on many many things and at the end of the run you know I feel great and there's nothing that I can do in the short term, like a, a form of instant gratification, that's going to give me the same feeling that I get from running. Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, you feel sad. You feel pride. It's some something you can go and do for free easily. Build up at your own pace. And you, for any of your listeners who who don't have a running practice but find themselves interested, they could listen to my TEDx talk called movement as medicine in there i talk about the value of incremental change a lot that uh, and there's a great app called couch to 5k there are various the thing about running is if, and you know when i took it up when I, in that period during my meltdown i had just about every bad habit you can imagine i won't name them all but trust me i was no elite athlete um, i could barely get to the next tree mm. but i saw off slowly i knew enough 
by that point, just I'd, I'd worked out one of life's hacks, which was, you know, start things slowly and keep your expectations low. And then at some point, it'll, it'll click. Well, in running, it, it clicks so surprisingly fast. You go out there for your first run, overweight, exhausted, whatever you are, you set yourself a target to get to that tree over there. It's 50 meters away. The mm -hmm. next time you go out, maybe it's the next tree. So you made it to 75 or 100 meters. That first two or three times may be tricky, but suddenly around the third time, and the first run only took you one minute. So we're talking about a massive investment here of sort of five minutes of running. Yeah. But that third time, suddenly you go, hang on a second. You know, I've got something happening here. Part of it will be an emotional response. Part of it will be excitement. It'll be liberation. It'll be uh, confronting the self, employing the self disciplining yourself and um, and suddenly you go well i've just made it i've leapt from 100 meters to 400 meters how did that happen mm -hmm. so so give it a go is what i would say to anybody who, who who doesn't have that practice yeah yeah and it's fascinating how uh resilient our bodies are that you can build yourself up so quickly just to your point just slowly building yourself up and and all of a sudden now you know, like for me too, like I would have never imagined running 10 kilometers, but you know, over time I was able to push myself and just got faster and, and yeah. I was able to get there. So I think there's tons of value there. Um, yeah. I mean, go, going to that point. So I was, as I said, I had all these uh, bad habits, including smoking nearly a packet a day, late nights, poker, drink, you name it. And, um, and I and I and I started up running and I, and and I, within a year I'd done a marathon. And if you told me that I would ever run a marathon, I didn't think I'd make it 100 meters. That I would make it a marathon, I would have told you you were out of your mind. Mm -hmm. But it happens, right? The the golden rule of life is is keep on putting one foot forward and the other in front of the other. What they don't tell you is that by the time you've put the fifth the sixth one just follows automatically yeah people just think well the first one's so tough how am i going to get to the second one it's like just don't worry about that just get going and it'll take care of itself and before you know what's what you're a nasa nasa astronaut <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i mean that's interesting so what i mean i guess you, you mentioned you know you had the meltdown you had bad habits so what like what was it about running that inspired you why running of all things and you know because it was so easy, it, I knew I needed to get out. I knew fresh air would be good. I certainly didn't want to be in an office. I, I, I needed to be out. It, it, uh, it, it's so readily available. The barriers to entry were very low. Mm -hmm. um, I was in total control. Um, I knew the sunlight would be good on, on my skin and with vitamin D and all that good stuff. It's just very doable. And, and I knew that, you know, I had memories of being a kid. I used to play rugby when I was a kid and I knew that, that, that sometimes when you're in your body, particularly as uh, I think partic perhaps particularly as a man, we need to, to be doing things with our bodies. Um, certainly if we're anxious, it's a great way out is to pick up an ax or just do something with your body mm -hmm. because because there's a lot of there's a lot of testosterone and aggression and and, and, and if we don't if we if we're not channeling that, it bounces back inside and it finds places, you know, as they say, the devil makes use of vital hands or the devil starts taking care of us. And, and now we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree uh, full heartedly. And, and, and I know you mentioned uh, just going back to like the community piece of running and the stories. Uh, what's your 
kind of perception on how our storytelling ability has evolved or has it changed? Well, I think it's sort of, it's become a sort of meta, meta storytelling, right? It's a popular culture, the Kardashians and whatever else, instead of us having personal, a personal sense of personal hero's journey, we're sort of outsourcing it and, and just expecting it to happen for us. You know, if I, if I listen to enough success podcasts, you know, uh, or, or follow the Kardashians or enough, somehow I'll become a celebrity or whatever. Well, yeah, you can learn a lot from podcasts, but you're still going to need to go out there and do the work. So I think that somehow the, the kind of sense of, of, of agency, of, of being your own hero uh, has kind of, it's, it's, it's just the sense of self has broken down, I think, a mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. like, uh, where do I end? Who, who am I next to you? Why am I always comparing myself to you? What should it matter to me who you are? Why am I so concerned? If I could just keep the, keep the focus on myself and keep pushing myself forward, but I'm being, my attention is taken away. I'm being asked to compare myself all the time to other people. And I'm always coming up short and that's undermining me. So I think somehow the personal story um, has degenerated and, and, and this kind of meta story, which is just a bunch of, you know, uh, billionaire Silicon Valley guys making a lot of money, yeah. uh, you know, and you're, and you're on a spinning wheel, like some cracked up, um, you know, mouse that doesn't know when to get off the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, and this is why I enjoy it. So I have an eight year old. I enjoy watching like Disney movies or whatever, because to your point, they have that personal hero story to them, right? There's yeah. the adversity they have to go do the inner work uh face their inner demons and then they're able to like get to that next level of success well i'm such a huge believer in the sort of heroic struggle uh, and joseph campbell's hero's journey and stuff yeah i i think that life is challenging for everybody and whether you don't have to use heroic terminology necessarily but you you are going to face many struggles in your life as therapists we often talk about the average person having three breakdowns of course that's not uh, a fact but mm -hmm. but you will have three or four or two but you're definitely not getting zero crises in your life maybe your wife leaves you maybe your company goes under maybe your best friend steals your money there's going to be a moment mm -hmm. and and those moments and what you do with them and what you learn and how you turn disappointment around and how what you learn from regret um that's what's going to make you yeah yeah i know i agree and that's why i appreciate some of the uh, the the readings of the stoics uh just going through those and and victor frankl's a huge inspiration for me is just finding that meaning in your struggle and and your you know whatever adversity you're going through in life uh, why do you think that we why do you think we've lost the sense of, of value or meaning in our own heroic struggle why does it somehow not matter to us i think there's a there's a sense of enti entitlement um there's this expectation that there should be no adversity yeah. Um, and for, for, I don't know, whatever reason, um, I was fortunate because my parents immigrated to Canada and they taught me, you know, what it means to struggle, um, and working hard, uh, because they had to do it. And I got to see it, uh, especially I was the eldest child. So I got to see more of it, um, yeah. more so than my siblings. So I think 
what I see is uh, there is a sense of entitlement that, you know, and I see a lot of people don't know what to do when the first sign of adversity comes into their life yeah. and, and they lose all meaning and uh, they're just so consumed in it that they can't even see, okay, if I can maybe even push this out a few months, I'm going to be better for it. So that's kind of my, my perce perception on where that whole story of struggle has been lost because people believe they shouldn't struggle. Yes, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to being part of an immigrant family, like you said, the, the, the hustle, you, 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 learn, you learn hustle, you watch hustle happening. Yeah. Um, if you grow up with privilege or entitlement, you just, you don't see that, you don't get it, you don't value it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was reading some statistics, I don't know if they're true or not, or listening to some the other day, it said that to be the child of immigrants like you is a fantastic thing, but that your kids, it'll happen as quickly as your kids, they won't, they will have already lost it. Yeah, yeah. no, I see that with my son, actually, uh, as, as we were talking, I, I see that quite a bit where, you know, the slightest bit of adversity or even me just challenging them on things he, he gets very upset uh, and disappointed. And I'm like, well, or it's even playing video games, right? If he loses, he'll just shut it off. And it's like, yeah. well, you can't do that. You need to figure out how you're going to master this and, and push forward, right? So you're right there. It, it does lose its, uh, its charm right away for the next generation. But um, I think, yeah, going back to your question, it is that sense of entitlement that's uh, been the biggest challenge from, from my view. So I don't, I don't have kids, I'm hoping too soon. I've always worried about, my father was a very strict disciplinarian. I, I've always worried about how I'll be as a father. Will I be too, too tough or not tough enough? I, I, I know that you definitely need to be tough. You definitely need to be tough. You need to push them. You need to have strong yeah. boundaries. You need to not be scared to upset them and all these sorts of things. And I think today my sense is that looking around at my friends and their kids, they're like best friends with their kids and the kids call them by their first name. And I, I don't, I'm not sure that that's helping in the long run, their sort of mental health. I think you need strong boundaries. You need to push your son and daughter and you need to, you know, it's yeah. you're there to teach them stuff you're not there to be their buddy yeah I, I think there's a a good balance like I try to treat my son as a friend like and and the reason why I say having that friendship aspect is important because you want them to be able to express themselves and open up and you know uh, if there's anything that's bothering him or if he's feeling emotion uh, I want him to express that to me whereas I didn't have that um, yeah type of relationship with my parents but going back to your point I also maintain boundaries so when he tries to push things or if he gets disrespectful then I have to call him out on it and be like hey Definitely. I know I know we've got a very friendly relationship but at the end of the day I'm still your father so let's not forget that <laughs> yes and also I don't want to hear about every single emotional issue you've had. One day you're gonna be out there, nobody's gonna want, you're not gonna have an opportunity to share with, I'm not gonna be around forever. You, mm -hmm. need to, you need to work out for yourself how to overcome at times. I'm gonna be there for you as best I can and show you some, but sometimes I'm not, and I'm mm -hmm. not gonna be there on purpose. Today, you're gonna to sit in this room by yourself and you're gonna deal for a few hours with the feelings that you're feeling right now. And guess what, I'll give you a hug afterwards and you'll see everything will be fine. Yeah. But you need to master 
does some of the fear that's inside of you, some of the anxiety that's inside of you, it's okay. So it's normalizing it. But I also think there's a danger today where kids are getting this message all day long. Oh, you know, let's share, let's talk about every single problem we've got. And, 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 and then the solution they share, but it, no solution. It's not really working for them. And what they're really not doing is, is learning how to separate out what I should be managing for myself and, and, and what needs to be shared or what, what, what has value in sharing with somebody else. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you, you want to empower them to be able to uh, figure things out for sure. I mean, you know, that's the, uh, this week, my focus was on parenting and fatherhood, uh, even in my, on my social media accounts and stuff. But uh, I think it's just one of those things. It's, it's probably the hardest job you'll ever have as, as being a parent, because there's, uh, there's no right way of doing it. And, you know, even till today, I'm still figuring it out. And there's certain things I fail at miserably, and I just have to try again. Um, but, you know, to your point, you have to have that form of discipline, because you're, you're trying to set them up to be able to go out into this world and face all those challenges yeah. that are out there. So while trying to maintain some compassion and uh giving them that freedom to be able to express their emotions which is something i didn't have let me ask you this so let's say you had got that or your son gets that now he's married he's dating this wonderful woman maybe maybe he's dated a few women um and, and he's getting this message that uh, i'm interested to know whether this is something that comes up in your podcast and, and what guys say and um, and, and he's getting this message that he should tell his girlfriend about what he's feeling and his insecurities and so forth. Do, do the people that you talk to and listen to, do they describe success with that? Or do, do they sometimes say, oh, well, you know, I feel like it's not just my perception that I'm losing whatever place or authority I've got as a man or as a human I'm making myself too vulnerable, I guess, is my question. Did, did they say, oh, no, this is fantastic. It works so well. <laughs> my girlfriend just treats me better. Or do they say, eh, sometimes I don't know. Well, I think it's one of those things. There's not really a, a right answer to that either. Um, I've, I've heard both extremes. Um, and in my personal opinion, what it comes down to is uh, it really depends on your partner. So if you're a male... Uh, and you've got a female partner and you're expressing your insecurities, if she's mature enough and she's done her own work, uh, that person should be able to receive that information without judgment um, and be able to understand where you're coming from. Now, if and, ce and celebrate exactly. the intimacy that you're offering without yeah. feeling the need to either run with it or exploit it or whatever it is yeah i think very well put that's absolutely right and, and if you don't have that partner you need to find either turn them into that partner or or, or, or trade them out yeah and, and what i've seen and uh or at least heard or at least i think the way it should be is that opportunity you're you're gifting that opportunity to your partner to to show up for you and and you're showing up by being transparent and honest and vulnerable and that should, in my mind, make the relationship even stronger because now you have this trust um, where, you know, you can be yourself in a way and, and uh, you know this person will not judge you.
Yeah. Uh, what I see as problematic is as men, we try to create this facade of, and put on a mask. It's like, oh, I'm this tough guy. Meanwhile, they've got all these emotions underneath that are impacting their ability to show up. Yeah. And, and they expect their partner to either read their mind or yeah. resentment starts building up because they're not doing anything about it. And that obviously leads to toxic relationships, um, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, or and we have women, perhaps particularly because they've had to keep their eye on, on men historically, cavemen and what and, and, and so forth. They've had to, they've got a strong um, sixth sense. They can tell when there's a disconnect between what you're telling them. Uh, so if you if you're running some sort of facade, as you say, pretending to be something, but acting in some other way, they know damn well, but they may not know how to express it very well, because you probably pick somebody who's as emotionally mature as you are, i.e. not as emotionally mature as you could be. So you're going to have to do the work together. You're going to have to have courage. Um, but yeah. 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 And, and, and to, uh, just to add one more point to that is if, you know, to your point, women are able to pick up on that. And now they've lost trust in you because you're not backing up your word. You're saying something else. And then meanwhile, you're doing something else. So you're being incongruent with who you are. And for a woman, that's hard for them to trust a man because now yeah. they've lost trust in you. And, and then that's where the relationship kind of starts falling apart. And men often don't know what to do and, and they don't really look within themselves. Well, uh, what they've got to do is have the courage to, to say, look, you know, I do find it hard to be straight with you. And on Friday, I said this, and I've spent some time thinking about it. And you know what, what I really meant was this. And, and I'm sorry that I, I, I didn't communicate that better to you. I hope that going forward, that also leads by example, doesn't it? So hopefully they reciprocate. So yeah, it's the courage to turn around and, and, and admit your shortcomings. And everybody loves that, right? We think that they're going to think, oh, God, what an asshole. But actually, they appreciate. Yeah. Uh, and, and if they don't, then maybe that's not the right person for you, right? So I think what happens is we try to people please for whatever reason. And I mean, you and I both know a lot of the people pleasing comes from childhood. Um, so, so they'll, you know, as we mentioned earlier, they'll put on a, a, a mask and uh, they're hoping for different results. And it's like, well, you're not going to get different results if you keep doing the same thing you've been doing your whole life. Yeah. And all that trauma builds up over time. And that mask, I don't even know that I've got the mask on anymore. It's like a grimace on my face. <laughs> yeah. And I'm acting out, you know, years of trauma and, you know, you could, yeah, it's, it's, as you said, it's tough. The only thing tougher than being a parent is being somebody's partner, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, obviously relationships are, are meant to be difficult and, you know, you need both people on the same page working, at least you may not need to be going at the same pace, but as long as you're going in the same direction, I think there's value there uh but yeah and it, it all comes back to community and and having these conversations and if you're struggling in your relationship or you're not sure how to express your insecurities that's where having these deep conversations with your friends whether it's running or being part of a men's group or whatever it is uh are really really helpful so i encourage people to continue to do that and and william a lot of the work you're doing is fantastic um i, I guess 
uh, as we come to an end here, for, for listeners that want to get a hold of you, uh, whether it's social media or online, what are some ways they can find your work or, or get in touch with you? No, Pullen Therapy on Twitter, Dynamic Running Therapy on Instagram, dynamicrunningtherapy.com on the web. Um, those are some of the ways I would say. Uh, and I would just say to also to any of your um, listeners, you know, therapy, uh, therapy doesn't have to be incredibly scary. And, and, um, and if you're a man, I would suggest you probably get a male therapist, not always, but just some, um, uh, and, and, and give it a go, because my job is to normalize and remind my clients that the drama that they think is so terrible inside of them is happening in the flat next door and the flat underneath. And there's nothing. I hear so many stories in here and I've heard them all before. And, uh, and there's, you know, it's just normal stuff. How normal you feel about it is another matter. Yeah, and, and that's the purpose of this podcast, too, is to normalize that. So I, I appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, Ferkin. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the episodes or leave a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Thank you again. And until next week.